Hello and welcome to another episode of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, Detroit Weekend, well now it's more like week, continues as Dave Buick of The Go, of The Lost Kids, of the famous, infamous Italy Records, of Young Soul Rebels Records, and of course, of the, uh, well, I guess Detroit uh, chapter now of Third Man Records. More on all that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. And he will get the message to me. Tristan, I love you, buddy. Thank you for all your hard work that you do. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this thing that we do here. You can also subscribe to it and rate it. And thank you to everyone that does do that. You can also support it by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out a punk and an extra special thank you to the people to do that over there and check out some of the stuff that we put on over at that thing. And speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we love what you do. We just don't want you to do it in your own pocket. And they helped support me doing this thing. And it's been amazing. It really has. Um, so thank you to them for that. Uh, also check out flood doc, floodmagazine.com for the punk as fuck series that I've been doing over there with them, uh, putting up videos, and finally, uh, Fucked Up. Fucked Up's got a new thing uh, right now with the Year of the Horse, Chapter 3. <laughs> so it's going to be, I, I, I think in terms of records, as you all know. So it's going to be Side C when this thing inevitably comes out on vinyl. And yeah, check it out. I'm really stoked about it. Matt from The National, one of my favorite bands, guest vocals on part of that as well. So check that out. I think that's it. On to today's show. Today on the show, we are continuing this Detroit week that we have going on. Uh, if you've checked out, it was supposed to be all on a weekend, but I've been dealing with some some family stuff uh, lately, and uh, just yeah, anyway, it didn't happen. So now it's turned into a little bit longer. We've we've prolonged it a little bit, which is great because there are just so many things to talk about in this city. Of course, Detroit is largely considered one of the birthplaces of punk rock, probably the birthplace of punk rock, or certainly a proto-punk. And right the way through, I've been kind of obsessed with the stuff that comes out of there. And I think that's reflected by the three very different guests that we have, all from Detroit. When I say we, I mean Tristan and myself have been booking this, but three very different eras of Detroit music, three very different scenes, even if they are a little overlapping at times, are represented here. And these aren't even necessarily the three big scenes. Of course, I'm talking Lauren from the Dogs, which is the first episode that you've heard already. That one deals with more kind of the after the proto-punk scene, the Detroit rock scene kind of fades away and before the punk scene really gets going. So if you have not checked out that episode, check it out. And today with Dave Buick, we're talking about the scene before the garage rock boom really starts to happen. You know, the stuff that led up to to I guess the White Stripes are kind of the the culmination of all of that. And then Another episode we'll talk about at the end of the show, we'll deal with a completely different scene, but we'll get to that later on. Uh, Dave Buick is someone who I've been a fan of the stuff he's put out for a long time, you know, certainly through Italy Records. Italy Records is the home of, 
I guess the most valuable, one of the most valuable seven inches of all time. We talk about this in the episode and get into the story behind it, but there is a version of Lafayette Blues, the White Stripe single with Sugar Never Tasted So Good, that uh, well, he talks about the figure in this episode, but this thing sold, and this is before this massive collectible boom that we're in right now, but this thing sold for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So it is really, truly one of the one of the, the most valuable <laughs> records of all time. So we talk about this, we talk about all sorts of other stuff um, and really kind of hone in on this garage rock scene, which is once again, one of the many manifestations of punk rock that appears in Detroit. And I know this happens everywhere. There's tons of cities where this happens, but I'm just fascinated by the fact that in Detroit, there is so much overlap and this stuff does kind of uh, weirdly interconnect. You'll hear about this all in one second. I've rambled on too much, but uh, while you're at it, check out some of the stuff that Dave has been putting out with third man records. He's been doing an incredible job of putting out a lot of Detroit classics, you know, and, and seeing a lot of stuff that has never been out before and or not properly out or check out some of the stuff that they've been putting out on third man of course the l7 record and there's some there's some big ones down the pipe sit back relax and enjoy dave buick on turned out a punk dave thank you so much for coming on the show yeah of course thanks for having me it's it's an honor Longtime fan well, that is that makes me very happy to hear because I love the go, and I think you've done some of the coolest labels and continue to do one of the coolest labels. Uh, you know, so it's 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 a yeah, it's a huge thrill. And I think that you know you're one of those people that has this sort of like you know forest view of punk rock that you're going to help me connect <laughs> a lot of dots in a scene that I love so much, which is the kind of Detroit and sort of greater Michigan punk rock hardcore scene. But we got to start this off the way they all start off, which is. Cool. Dave, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, well, you know, I'm from the, I'm, I was born in 72. So, you know, when I was first getting into like finding my own music, you know, that wasn't the Grease soundtrack or whatever, uh, you know, like on the radio, you'd hear, you know, The Clash or Adam Ant, B-52s. Um, so there was some great, you know, early 80s had some great, top 40 shit that was uh you know punk <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know that was you know i like rock the cash bond stuff like that um but what really like drove the nail into the coffin happened was, was you too um and i know that sounds weird <laughs> i there was i when i was at uh, it, like i think sixth grade or something like that there yeah. was uh my friend, a kid at school, his older brother had one of those Maxell tapes, uh, you know, with the gold on either side, the metallic gold label. Um, he had one of those that had a U2 tape on it and uh, a record on one side, uh, I think under the blood red sky or sun or whatever the hell that record's called. Okay. Um, and it was, he was made, all the kids were borrowing it and getting way into U2. And I was like last in line and I borrowed it. <laughs> um and I didn't really connect with it, but on the flip side of it was fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. And first listen, that blew my mind. I think like the next day was my first and only time stealing somebody's mail. <laughs> like I, yeah, I just got way into it, man. I was, I was so into the dead Kennys. And then I just, you know, went, went from there and, you know, realized that, you know, 
people could swear in songs and you know it was yeah it would just that was it that was hearing the dead kennedys it seems like a very side two of my war kind of thing like you know you're, <laughs> you're either the u2 on side one or you're yeah the... <laughs> a lot yeah there's a definitive you know like definite line in the sand there it's not like the faith void thing where you could go one <laughs> way or the other <laughs> yeah were there any other kids that you know flipped over to side b and kind of got on that board or were you kind of like the only one that you know i went to uh, a private school um that i when eighth grade came along i uh or finished you know they recommended i go to public school and reapply uh, <laughs> after my freshman year but i didn't and it was the you know the best five years of my life but uh there was a couple uh a couple of my friends were into the dead Kennedys and stuff. Um, but not a lot. There wasn't yeah. a ton. Um, you know, and starting then and then through high school, yeah, there wasn't always a ton of people that were into the the same shit, but they're, you know, they're, you know, would they'd be more into the cure or something like that, which I'm hugely into now, but I wasn't back then, you know. So like <laughs> misfits were uniting, not the misfits, you know, that you know. The dorks united, but not bonding over music, just bonded over our dorkiness, you know? Yeah, the actual misses, not the super yeah. muscular dudes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what, what were you into kind of before, you know, getting this tape? You, like, you know, stuff that was on the radio, MTV hits, you know? Yeah, just... Uh, yeah, <laughs> like you can safety dance and stuff like that. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, I think I was always a little into the weirder stuff, but it was still, you know, MTV top 40. I loved Adam Ant. Um, he was a huge one. I love the police and I love the, you know, uh, the B-52s. Um, so that's pretty cool. I, I wasn't, you know, a complete lost cause. Well, it's funny because it's like that's one of those moments, you know, there's like these certain moments when you look at, you know, popular music history in, in I guess, North America or whatever. Like there's certain moments where it bubbles up, you know, and like that's one yeah. of those moments where it bubbles up and then it does it again, you know, obviously with the Nirvana and, and then all Green Day and Offspring shortly thereafter. And then it does it again with kind of the Detroit garage rock and, and the stuff that was happening in New York, you know, like there's these moments where it bubbles up and those are almost like it feels like those are almost like jump on points for, for yeah. everyone yeah totally and and you know once you jump on you can go back and forward and sideways and anywhere any way you yeah. want yeah uh, yeah it's yeah it's i i feel that way too like you know everyone when when i hear people talking about like yeah you know the 70s new york could never happen or early 80s detroit could never happen again i always think that's bullshit you know because it can't always happen and sometimes it happens like you know on in major magazines and on the radio and stuff like that because you know it does it just yeah there's it's they're portals that that take you shit everywhere all over the place man yeah yeah no and like you're saying it's like a, a point where you can dive back like you need it, it's funny i talked to liz fair recently and and it's like you know she's got that record that everyone gets mad about that sellout record but you like you well quote unquote sellout record i should say right. but like you need those records like you need those those kind of like you need the adamants and yeah, you, know, you know you need those people to kind of bring bring in that next wave yeah yeah for sure and it's 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 a good thing it's not a bad thing when people like get like I, that also never never i don't ever get it like you know when the white stripes first you know showing up on nme covers and stuff like that there was a lot of a lot of people around here were you know, feeling negative about it. And mm. it just, that doesn't make sense to me. 
I, I guess it's like when you get older, you finally like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about myself when I say this, but you look back on yourself at younger ages and you realize like, oh shit, that was all born out of insecurity. Like my protectiveness of this thing. Yeah. Was yeah, because yeah. I felt, you know, I don't know. But where did you kind of go after getting this dead Kennedy's tape? Like, had you been to any concerts before? I know. I mean, like, Neil Diamond and Beach Boys and stuff with my folks. And, Pretty uh, good shows. Those yeah, are... they're great shows. Totally. Paul Simon, you know, I got to yeah. see some okay stuff. But uh, yeah, I hadn't gone to any shows. And you know, I didn't, you know, at that point, I wasn't going to a ton of shows. Like, it, high school started going to more. But uh, I mean, the Dead Kennedys thing kind of just led me up to the, to the record store. And I just started hanging around in record stores. And uh, you know, luckily the record stores, you know, a couple of the ones I went to, there was one called Marty's in Birmingham and uh, the son of Marty, Bob, who actually, who played for a long time in the, the Volbeats in Detroit, um, is well before I knew anything about the Volbeats, probably well before the Volbeats were a band. Uh, I mean, definitely. But, you know, luckily he was like a cool, a cool record store guy, not a jerk record store guy. And, you know, saw a kid with like, corduroy gerbo jeans and a flannel shirt you know buying a dead kennedy's record and you know would recommend other records sometimes stuff like that but other times you know it'd be like a replacements record or you know minutemen he was the one that re recommended i buy a minutemen record so you know luckily i had good guys at record stores and like that's that's a super important important place for kids uh to get into stuff and anyone to get into stuff not just kids Oh yeah. No, it's, it's amazing how much of curation plays a part, you know, like I look back in, in local record stores here and it's just because of these people that worked at these record stores taste that the scene developed the way it did, you know, because yeah. they're recommending certain records to certain kids. Absolutely. For sure. And uh, yeah, that was my main thing. Like, you know, I'd go to shows when I could, you know, my parents were cool, but they, you know, they, I didn't have free reign, you know, I had to kind of answer to them. So I wasn't going down to coming down to Detroit nonstop, but you know, they would let me come down to Detroit or Ohio or wherever to go see shows, but it wasn't an everyday thing, but I could go to the record store whenever I wanted. How much general awareness was there for, you know, the, the music history? Like I know now it's a very different thing, but at the time was like, they're sort of a, you know, a general pop culture awareness of, you know, the Stooges and the MC5 and kind of this lineage that Detroit had, or does that kind of come later on? Like, you know, I mean, mainstream radio kind of awareness. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, I listened to the radio a lot. I mean, you know, I tried to listen to, you know, like the college, you know, uh, the Oakland College had a cool like punk, punk show. And I'd sit in my bedroom pretending to do homework, you know, with my little like the, you know, the little study cassette player where you got to like press the, you know, you load the tape in the top and you got to press the thing, like play and record it the same. And I would like, you know, so I had like harp comps with like, you know, the vandals and stuff, but you know, like the, all the songs were like either cut off a couple seconds. Uh, you know, the first couple seconds were not there or the last couple seconds were not there. I wasn't very good at it. I should have just left it. Cause I would have loved to have all those, uh, commercials and stuff still that would have been great but yeah i didn't know i didn't find out you know really about the stooges and iggy and stuff until until i got the repo man soundtrack and that was a couple years after repo man had come out um and then i went and saw like iggy open up for the pretenders i think in 86 that was like one of my first big concerts like and uh 
loved Iggy. And from there kind of just, you know, went down that hole. And uh, I still love Iggy and the Stooges. <laughs> what, did, did he kind of get like a better reaction than the pretenders of that show? Cause it's almost like a, like a, like a hometown kind of gig or was, was it- I, I remember it being pretty, yeah, not that great. I'm, yeah. I, I mean, I was in 86, I was like 14 or whatever. So, you know, we had to get dropped off and picked up and I was freaked out. It was around like when the blah, blah, blah record came out. I don't remember it being like a huge response for Iggy. I'm sure there, I'm sure there was people into it, but you know, I feel like maybe like the people that were like following Iggy's solo stuff at that point, like had been like, dude, blah, 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 what? <laughs> and like, they weren't into it. And I don't know. It didn't, I don't, I don't remember the Iggy set being, you know, completely mind blowing other than for me and my buddy Roe who went to the show. I actually work with a third man still and it's his birthday today happy birthday. oh happy birthday <laughs> other than seeing like i didn't know a lot about the mc5 there wasn't a lot of people i didn't know a lot of old hippies and stuff like that or whatever <laughs> you want to call them yeah like none of my friends parents were you know they were a little too old to have been going and see the mc5 and stuff and most of my friends didn't have cool older siblings no offense to any of my friends, cool older siblings. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know you at the time, or maybe you didn't like the Stooges or the MC5. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't get into them until later on. Well, I guess those records they get they get reissued at the very late '80s, I think, or even maybe it's the early '90s, right? But they're they're kind of I guess they're out of print at that time. Like it feels like it would have been a real low for just yeah. sort of pop culture awareness. So like short of circles, obviously. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I think they got reissued in the, I think it was the early 90s, I think. Okay, yeah. It wasn't a thing like, you know, going through used record bins, you know, there's always, back then there, you know, there's Motown records everywhere and stuff, Alice Cooper records everywhere. But yeah, I don't remember seeing MC5 and Stooges all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, actually, I kind of do. <laughs> I take it back. But yeah, it just, I don't remember it being a huge Thing in my life so i wasn't super aware it, like in the formative years i wasn't super aware of the history the, like the the musical history of detroit started and stopped at that time for me with you know the touch and go scene like i knew about all of those bands t- negative approach and you know necros and stuff like that but that was about as far as i knew and where were you kind of hearing about that stuff was once again at that record store at the record store and another one of my friends who was uh he had an older sister and so he was into you know the meat man and and uh and necros and negative approach for, through her i believe and uh yeah you know you listen to when you're 14 and you listen to we're the meat man and you suck i mean shit <laughs> it's, it's like yeah okay this is my thing i'm into it <laughs> <laughs> And then just went from there, you know, and like, yeah, I was obsessed with the touch and go. And then that, of course, led me to like Discord. So I was like through high school, I was obsessed with touch and go and Discord and getting all the records. And that was what got me into labels, too, were those two labels. Mm-hmm. Well, they're two of the two of the best labels. And when you get into record collecting and then all of a sudden you find out about this thing, there's variations and they're also rare. And it just it's just the perfect thing to collect. Yeah, I mean, they were like in high school, like at record stores around here. You know, I thought I was spending big bucks. Like, I remember I got like teen idols for like 30 bucks or 40 bucks or something like that. And 
you know, I got, I got almost everything except for the first Necro single, you know, back then for between 20 and $40 thinking I was spending big bucks. <laughs> a vengeance too. Did you find a vengeance? Uh, no, I didn't. I did not find vengeance. I didn't get the fix and I didn't end up getting Jan's room until uh, the, the mid, the early thousands. I found a copy of that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was like back then when I, 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 I was, obsessed with that hardcore and then i you know was getting into minor threat and stuff and i just remember looking at you know being like wait a second this label is also on this one and this label is on this one and then you know then when i found the necros one that had both labels on it i was like holy shit so then i just wanted to collect everything that was you know had something to do with touch and go and discord and still to this day i feel like there's not whether they know it or not there's not one independent uh underground record label in the country probably in the world that's not directly influenced by those two labels yeah no definitely uh well it, it, it's it's funny because like detroit is like a a label town you know like yeah. when i think of the punk scene there's always like there's like labels that put out that have like catalogs you know like depression yeah. records has like 20 releases or something yeah totally it, it, it do you think it's because of like is that a function of you know motown and the fact that there were pressing plants and there's almost like this like it's like an entertainment city at the same time as as it's an industrial city yeah i mean man that's so it's so hard to answer people always you know like always wonder what it is about detroit and yeah i'm sure it has something to do with the fact that it's a manufacturing town and you know who knows maybe it's something like you know that most people that were doing labels like their folks were in the auto industry and you know they didn't really approve of what the kids were doing, but they're like, well, you're going and making your own thing and you're taking it. I know, you know, you know, I might have something to do with it. It's yeah. Yeah. It's kind of just like, you know, I hate saying, you know, it's a working class city or something like that, but I, we had a lot, there was, it was easy to get records pressed and, you know, sleeves printed and I don't know. And yeah, I have no idea, but I think it play, definitely plays a part. The fact that we're a, a manufacturing city. Sure. I, I suppose there's no way to look into it, but I wonder if population-wise, there's like more records coming out of it. Like it just seems like that is like a record collector, like be it garage rock stuff, be it Motown stuff, soul stuff, like yeah, punk and hardcore. Like it just feels like everything that's happening in like a city like New York or Los Angeles is happening in Detroit, but it's you know substantially smaller population-wise in these two places yeah there's a, it's a i think that's a part of the thing like when it comes to the record collecting and also you know it, we're one of those cities where until recently you know people didn't really move into like it was you know there's a lot of roots here you know people are here and they stay here so you know for used records that's you know people don't move out either they just would stay here and work here and live in this area so that's, there's like a, a steady flow of records going in and out of collections and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's still like the best record city, you know. Like it, it, it's it's still really great. It's you know, of course, record shopping is not the same as it was a while ago, but yeah, we still have great record stores, and you know, everyone with the record stores are doing it for the right reason mm -hmm. and cool, mm -hmm. and they all play in bands and you know, or have played in bands, and yeah, it's 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 a good town for for records for sure. Yeah, like it's been a couple of years since I've I've gotten to go, but um, it felt like it was retaining more of that kind of old school record culture, like 
the longest out of other cities I would go to. Like it felt like the stores, like you're saying, like they got it, like stuff people would have stuff on the floor that yeah. they wouldn't have on discogs, you know, just because that's what you do. Yeah, totally. I mean, still you don't like yeah, there's you don't when they get a rare record, they you know, it's not like yeah, it's not the highest price on discogs or eBay. They they're priced to move and mm-hmm. they're cool, you know, like uh a few years ago at Hello Records, I, I found some, I can't even remember what one, some weird Dutch punk record. You know, Wade, who owns Hello, would always, you know, oh, I got some stuff you might like. And uh, I found one that looked cool and I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. So I asked him, he's like, I don't know, five bucks. And then he came like sheepishly came up to me like a little while later. He's like, he's like, man, I'm sorry. I never do this. But for, for some reason, I looked on Discogs and this thing goes for like 120 bucks. Like... <laughs> you think you could give me like, I don't know, like 20 bucks for it. I'm like, yeah, totally. man. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. Like I feel the same way when I go to stores there and I was like, like, you know, buying records, it was like, Oh shit. Everything here is like reasonably priced and, and not like you you're trying to steal it from the store and, and rip them off. But at the yeah. same time, like you feel like, Oh shit, this is why, you don't just sit on your couch and buy records on your phone. You go into right. stores and, and see what's around and stuff. But um, where did, when did you start playing music? I didn't start playing music until like the late nineties, I think 98, 97, like right before, you know, right when I joined the go. Okay. Like, I always, you know, I worked in record stores and then I started putting out, um, putting out records. You know, I, I bought a, I had a bass in high school, but it didn't, nothing really. Uh, you know, nothing came of that. But um, yeah, I, I was more like a label guy. I was like, hey, I want to put put out records. I don't really want to be in a band. And then the guys from I was hanging out with the guys from the Go at one point, some party at I think at Johnny Hench's basement. Like, man, you should play guitar. Uh, I like your that jean jacket and I like your hair. And I'm like, okay, cool. If you guys show me what to do, I'll do it. So they came over a couple times and like. Uh, you know, showed me a couple things on the guitar. And then like a week later, I was heading into my weekly DJ thing at the Garden Bowl and I got a phone call. Um, the bartender was like, yeah, Dave, Bobby just called. Uh, the bass player is out. You're now on bass. We have a show on Friday. So that was on a Wednesday. So like we had a show, you know, the first time I played bass was like two days after I ever tried playing bass with a band. And uh, it, I'm sure it showed. It probably still shows. <laughs> and, and you guys were signed to Sub Pop within a year then, right? We signed pretty quick. Like, that was, uh, yeah, it was pretty nuts. Um, we signed to Sub Pop pretty quick. And, you know, that there were some people that were a little bitter about that one, too. <laughs> well, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> that's a big deal. Like, that's still, like, uh, you know, obviously, like, a hugely important label. But, like, 99, that's, like, that's like the, yeah. your, like, career started. Oh yeah, it was great. It was, uh, we didn't, you know, we, it was a huge leap forward and several huge leaps back for us. Cause we didn't, we didn't take it, you know, we should have, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying talking shit about us, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of, we're just like, hell yeah, we're on sub pop, you know, we're spending whatever small amount of money they got. We, you know, they gave us, we bought like a giant airport shuttle bus for touring that cost us, you know, several hundreds of dollars to get from like in chicago to milwaukee or whatever in gas and but it was it was a blast and it was nuts yeah we played it was shortly after 
God, I don't even know how many, not even a couple of months, I think, after I've been playing in the band. I was in the band and then Jack joined and it was uh, like a month or so after that. We, That's uh, wild. Yeah, we were playing with the Dalras and Question Mark and Mysterians. And uh, a friend brought um, Dan Traeger, who was working at Sub Pop, to the show. And because uh, the friend really liked to go a lot. And Dan did too. And then Poneman liked him. And we ended up signing with Sub Pop. It's cool. That's, that's wild. Like, did, wait, did you guys tour with Question Mark and the Mysterians and play Toronto? No, we, we, no, we just played. I think that was the only time we played with them in Detroit. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, I was, I was just happy to be on Mud Honey's label, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, well, it's obviously such a storied label, but I imagine for a band to kind of like, did you guys even have a demo? Prior we, we actually recorded a demo with Matt Smith um, from Volbeats and Outrageous Cherry and stuff. He, he was, early supporter of the go and still is even the the go is you know unactive inactive whatever the active word is uh at this point he's still a huge supporter but he recorded uh there was uh remember that movie detroit rock city yeah yeah somehow someone hit him up about a band to be like the band in in that movie so we recorded a demo uh and submitted it to be in that movie, but we lost out to the Donnas. <laughs> and uh, then we had that demo and Sub Pop liked it. So that's the demo we gave to Sub Pop. So did you ever like release that demo or is it purely just like you recorded this thing and, and just like sent out? Cause I've never seen a copy of, of a go. A couple, demo a couple of the tracks from the demo are like, we're on the, the single that came out in the go vault package on third man last year, two years ago. Okay. okay. I have a copy. If you need one, I'll send it to you. Oh, I think that band's super underrated. I love that record. Um, it was a it was a fun time for sure. Uh, also, you brought out Outrageous Cherry. That band is fucking awesome. Yeah, Outrageous Cherry is you know probably yeah probably my favorite Detroit band. They're it's just yeah all the records are so good. Yeah, they're, he they should be way huger. Did you? Alice Cooper just did a cover of an Outrageous Cherry song on his new record. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. You should check it out. I can't remember what song at the moment, but it's great. I wish That's... Alice Cooper did all records like that at this point. That is amazing. Yeah. So, was that kind of a scene directly that the ghosts kind of falling or coming out of? Like, like what's the scene? Like, like once again, like I'm, I love the fact that in Detroit you have every representation and mutation of punk rock kind of happening on top of each other at the same time so like where where did kind of this garage rock scene come out of like what were the bands the formative bands for that uh i mean like of course the gories and then the doll rods yeah. mm-hmm. rocket 455 the henchmen like those were the ones that were doing it you know the gories obviously and uh started in the 80s but like the other guys in the early 90s um yeah that was like kind of the garage rock thing uh but, you know, I, I never really said there wasn't really that big of a separation. Like everyone was kind of just playing together. You know, they're sharing bills, playing on each other's records like, you know, uh, Timmy and cloned effects. And before that, epileptics and stuff, they were sharing bills with with everyone. And it was just like kind of a big, happy, happy group of, you know, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i i don't really i don't like yeah i don't know where the 
the roots of it. I mean, I think the Gorys are what actually started that whole. The Gorys are the at the at the beginning of of that garage rock movement, obviously. So at that point, like that's what I guess the thing you know that's the function of the scene kind of thing is that the fact that all these bands interact. Like you look at a city like New York. And there, there is a little bit of interaction between these scenes, but it does feel like very separate worlds. Like you don't really have too much involvement of like the noise rock stuff with, you know, like it just feels like everything's separated. But yeah, I guess it's it's a smaller scene. So everyone kind of has to play together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the noise we'd play, you know, we did shows with Wolf Eyes a bunch. And yeah, there was, there was a big cross pollination, pollinization. Poll- I don't, I didn't do good in in talking <laughs> uh yeah there was yeah everyone was just kind of around like you know adult was playing shows and you know with uh with us and we were playing with them and it was uh it was cool outrageous cherries on bills and slumber party and henchmen and weird side bands and stuff and it was it was super fun had that kind of boom in the Legion of Doom uh, scene kind of petered off? Like, they, I guess they're, they're still putting records into the uh, 90s, like that band Twitch and Boneyard. Yeah. Uh, around then. But, like, did you ever, like, was that part of that scene, too? Because I've already, you know, ta- that's a label, obviously, I'm obsessed with. But there's a lot of yeah. weird stories about some of those bands. I don't know a ton of the stories. I was uh, I was really into that Ugly But Proud 7-inch in high school. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, in my uh, graphics art, um class i made uh like when for the silk screening part we uh i made a the the little ugly but proud guy and put him on a screened him on a pocket shirt and i have a notepad somewhere an ugly but proud notepad that i made back then that is awesome (laughs) if i can dig those up i'll send you a couple sheets of that (laughs) oh that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) but uh that was on depression right that's that is yep that's a that's kind of like one of the early ones and and yeah like once again it's such a, a weird label like you know ugly and proud uh, ugly but proud and and boom and the legion of doom but also like the slaughterhouse seven inch which has scarred me for life ever yeah. since i saw that the that sleeve is one of the most disturbing things ever but <laughs> it's it just feels like that scene is like a a, a little freaky at times like there's that story about boom and the legion of doom uh picking up the uh deer carcass on the way to the youth of today show and, <laughs> and throwing it around the show in the middle of their yeah. set man yeah uh i didn't i didn't like get too i didn't you know i wasn't too familiar with all, that whole scene i would see those bands on bills and stuff like that in the the few shows i was at in the late 80s and then in the 90s and like a lot of that whole scene you know like they'd be around but you know like hanging out at the bar or the bowling alley or something or, or at the old miami i feel like that's like i probably had my most interaction with with that crew over at the old miami yeah it, it's it's um it's it's getting like you know in reading sold out fanzine and and in talking to Otto when he was on the show you kind of get the sense that for hardcore like the detroit hardcore that you know you talked about being into in the very beginning that there was almost like an after the gold rush sense the stuff where you really comes across when you're reading sold out you know like that yeah he's like you know if i'd only been here a few years earlier it would have been <laughs> awesome and right and there is kind of like that that sort of shift like were there any bands that were happening around then that you kind of felt like were kind of carrying that sort of flag for detroit like the after the gold rush sort of thing well i mean more like the hardcore kind of stuff like were there like hard like what was sort of like the capital h hardcore scene in the mid late 80s or late 80s that was kind of happening there oh man um 
what the heck is it like I'm spacing because I, you know, I, I, I started going to like hyena shows, and then whenever like yeah. you know, Discord band would come through, or all, or the Descendants, or something, whoever's on the bill. But it, you know, it was sometimes it was a cat, you know, like like a capital H hardcore band, or sometimes it'd be like the Trash Brats opening up and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. uh, that's like my memory of it. And then I can't remember like Otto's band. I can't remember his name. Sorry, Otto, but I love them. Uh, my buddy Brendan and Andy had had a band, Smart Bomb. Uh, there's like ALD and Scraps. I loved both of those bands and worked with one of the guys from Scraps, and I thought it was so cool. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm making sandwiches with a guy from Scraps. <laughs> you know, we'd go to, uh, you know, ALD shows, and those guys would, like, we were underage, and they'd pull us in through the window at St. Andrews and stuff like that. Um, you know, ALD were like was Big Dog and Jim Graham, and you know, Big Dog went on to being cold as life and stuff like that. Uh, Almighty Lumberjacks of Death, Absolutely. yeah, totally. Um, well, uh, that's it. That's another kind of see. There's that other whole label like Force Majeure. Like it feels like there's a lot of sort of oi leaning, and I, I think when uh, Jeff G was on the show, he referred to it as almost like a splatter punk scene that was kind of uh-huh. happening in the late '80s in Detroit. Like by yeah, some cadavers, I, I guess too. Feisty Cadavers, I saw a lot of Feisty Cadaver shows, ended up knowing a couple of those guys. Uh, but yeah, I didn't get like too into that that scene. Um, yeah, so I don't really know that, I don't know that much about it. You know, I, most of my interactions with those was a little after other, you know, I was young seeing them, mm-hmm. seeing bands like that. And then my, like when I, you know, like had actual social interactions with them, it was, you know, usually just at the bar, like doing, hanging out. Yeah, some DJ or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's a uh, once again, like it just keeps it comes back to this all the time for me. It's just like the the diversity of stuff that's kind of happening and and the significance of the stuff that would come out of there. Like so many of these bands are are talked about and legendary in their respective worlds. You know, like yeah. some some of the most important bands in their respective worlds. Yeah, yeah, it's that's always. I mean, it's I I'm. I can see, I always see it because I'm like, oh, I mean, I can always be like, yeah, totally like proud of the city and the music that's coming out of here. But yeah, it blows me away how many, how many important bands and artists have come out of this area, you know, since the beginning, since way before punk, you know, or way before the definition of punk happened. You know, there's just so much stuff. And, and there, and although, you know, like, like Rodriguez, he lives down the street from me and you used to see him gardening all the time. And, you know, Motown guys you see walking around or you're coming across, you know, it's, you just, it's, there's just people around and you meet them and it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Did you ever see Pitbull? Uh, yeah, I saw them at, who did I see them? Like Pitbull and Leeway or something like that. Oh, what a show. <laughs> I can't, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it was at St. Andrews. I, I, I can only remember one time, uh, but I, I, there's maybe more. I should go through my flyers and, see but uh i do remember that one show there was uh yeah it was definitely at st andrews because this guy rat rat was his name rat snot i guess i remember he was like making out or maybe maybe a little more than making out with his girlfriend in the balcony uh during one of their sets and just all of a sudden like he looked at everyone and it wasn't a huge crowd and like you know put his arms up and just like did a uh, balcony dive, like just dove off the off the balcony into the crowd, and 
it wasn't a huge crowd and it's a it's a big drop and i was like holy shit man this is nuts <laughs> and i think that was at a pitbull show not 100 percent positive but i think that's amazing uh how did you start uh italy records uh that was in the you know later mid 90s 97 i think and uh there was this band called the dirties were from uh port huron and um they were their shows were just intense and crazy and usually under 10 minutes long and you know no amp left unturned sort of thing like no face not punched like in the band like they would inner fight you know the third song and just it would go to shit but they were great and intense and uh i found out that they were putting out a record on crypt and that was going to be their first record their first release at all and i was like man that sucks that like a sweet band and nothing against crypt i like crypt uh but like you know i'm like man a killer band from the detroit area from michigan is their first record is going to come out on a german label so i was like hey dudes why don't i like my my father had passed away a few years before and left me a you know a small little chunk of money i was like i could have i could put it out why don't we just put out a single and you know on a detroit label before your your record comes out and uh and that way you just have that so we decided to do that they of course ended up the recording session fell apart and uh they ended up being the second release on italy rocket 455 was the first release but it was started because of the dirties and because I always liked records and record labels, and I always wanted to be a part of a record label. So I decided to start doing that. And then after that happened, after the rocket and dirty came out, dirties came out, it just was like, you know, be standing next to Johnny from the henchman and be like, dude, we should put out a, a henchman single or, you know, Timmy or something like that. And, you know, it just started happening and we just kept on doing it. It's such a cool label. Like it's a, you know, it's like, it's, it's obviously very, uh, you know, like of a sound that you're like, not all the bands sound the same, obviously, but at the same time, it's like of a sound you're going for and the aesthetic of it. It's so sick. Why did you kind of stop it at a certain point and start the other label? Uh, the Young Soul Rebels, we, I opened a record store on Woodward with my buddy Dion and we're just like, let's start doing something new. So we put out a Ramrod's LP and a Denizens LP, both 70s Detroit punk bands, and a Slumber Party record. And uh, we just decided, like, he had put out, released a couple records in the in the uh, late 90s as Go Sonic. And um, we just were like, well, let's both, you know, like, so I think the Dead Wax on the first thing we did said that one side was like, Italy is dead, and one side is Go Sonic is dead. And then we we're like, Young Soul Rebels. and then you know the store closed and uh i started putting out italy stuff again and you know i haven't put out an italy thing in a while you know in a while but i will again like why why say i'm not doing it anymore you know so it just became you know i just i don't know not i what i was at that point i was you know it was like all i wanted to do was that and you know drive around to record stores and sell them you know or you know drop them off for trade just so I can get more records. Uh, and it just, yeah, just, it just evolved into now. It's just a thing I'll do here and there and whatever. Um, I still love it and it's still awesome and still fun. <laughs> and I, and now I, nowadays I work for, you know, at third man, so I can, I can have the fun of putting out records without doing it, you know, doing it out of my, out of my bedroom, running out of space and in the house. 
you don't have to drive around. It'd be a lot more farther yeah. drives having to do that with a third man. Right yeah, here. totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, one of the best parts, I think, in that auto documentary, which is, you know, obviously amazing, but is the where you're talking about the white striped sleeve where you did the, the where you took the idea from the Necro skate park sleeve and, yeah. and made handmade ones. Yeah, we were like, you know, we had this, it was a triple release show, like Henchman had some coming out on Norton and a record that was on Italy. And the second White Stripe single was coming out and it was a show at the Gold Dollar. And yeah, the whole, like the, and that one became super collectible because the, like, I wasn't going to get the records or the artwork back. That was like the first one that we took, that I took to an actual printer instead of just doing it at, at Kinko's. Okay. Um, and uh, I wasn't going to get the records back. I called Musical in, in, uh, Ohio and I was like hey man can you rush like a hundred of the white stripes like really really needed for this release show and he was like yeah I'll do it for you but I can't it's not going to be on white vinyl I'll put white vinyl in but I won't have time to flush the machines so whatever the color in before will be it'll be mixed in and it happened to be red so it was like red and white swirled <laughs> like that wasn't planned that's so yeah cool. that was not planned that's why not planned I know and uh and then we didn't have the covers weren't ready and yeah jack and i were driving around and i was like shit man i thought of this skate parts single i was like jack we should just make our own and you know hand paint them so we stopped at the art supply store and got like some poster board and paint and painted like 15 of them i think maybe it was six 15 yeah we each did seven and then we did one together we numbered them and uh Ben Blackwell sold them for us at the show. We said, you know, we like put all these rules. We're like, we're going to, there's six bucks each, which we thought was insane. Yeah, that's <laughs> too wild, man. <laughs> we're like, we'll do six bucks each. And uh, you know, people have to wait in line and they can't choose. They just have to take, you know, they have to buy them in the order that they're there. And uh, yeah, they sold out. And like, I think one of them is sold for $20,000 at this point, which is just fucking nuts. Yeah, because that's never even been on the resource. Like that's never even shown up on Discogs. So it's got yeah. it's gotta be like it's gotta be one of the most valuable Detroit records. It's it's up there, which is just nuts. <laughs> I mean, absolutely nuts to me. Yeah. It's crazy. You um could, you could you could get several fixed vengeances. Yeah, I know, I know. Although I'm, those things are getting up there too, man. Those yeah, my awful. friend just sold one for 10 grand. It's nuts, man. I yeah. <laughs> I sold I, I sold a, a negative approach. Uh single for for a guy um one of the ones that like john and larissa like messed with you know so the the linda's face is all colored in okay and then the yeah. scrolled message on the inside is like extra extra dirty i can't remember what it said but it was like oh god um larissa probably wrote it and i sold it uh through uh you know i asked ryan uh, richardson to help move it for me uh you know rye bread and yeah. uh yeah he it sold for like like five grand or something right like the day it went up like Holy uh shit. yeah and i had i had a i had a necros i mean i had a negative approach uh that wasn't the fate the cover wasn't um wasn't altered but it had a good message i think it said like tol or pussies or something or sissies uh <laughs> on the inside um, and that's my copy. I love it. But I was like, man, this one with Linda's painted is awesome. Maybe I'll swap them out and uh, just sell my copy for the guy. Cause he was going to sell it for like 200 bucks. And I said, dude, don't do that. Uh, 
that's like 98 prices that's like yeah <laughs> yeah so i asked i asked ryan and he's like yeah i mean you could probably get a decent amount for the one you have but the one that the one that you're trying to sell will be get three times as much so or whatever so i was like i i didn't feel good about it so i i sold the one i really wanted <laughs> for a guy the provenance of those things is important because uh, a certain uh, infamous Detroit record collector colored in a bunch of them. So it's like if you find one and you know it's real, like, yeah, I guess the sky's the limit now for the prices of those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it was uh, it was real and it was awesome. It's cool to just have and I'm glad it went. Oh, to yeah. I really appreciated it. And uh, I could have had it. I could also <laughs> just ask John to color in a Linda on mine, but I don't think I will. <laughs> yeah but you you made a record that you could buy four of those with yeah you know, no, like i the know trade value. unfortunately we sold them all and we're like man we're rolling in dough what's 15 times six i can't i can't even do that right now but <laughs> you got like, 90, oh, yeah. 90 bucks is that 90 bucks <laughs> don't like that yeah we're like yes split uh, it two ways man <laughs> you couldn't even oh, yeah, smell one we, yeah because three ways i think we split it jack meg and i all took a third <laughs> so, 30 bucks yeah. each <laughs> yeah it was fun uh that that's wild like it's it's funny how you know like when you're doing these things you're putting out these records like obviously i've never put anything approaching that in collectible but like you just hand this shit out and you're like oh this is like water you know like yeah yeah here you go here take one take one and then it's like years later you're like oh wild like i guess i i did give away collectible shit like yeah but it's i i still i I still like doing it man like it's fun laying a, a crazy record on on somebody or or just giving I, I i love giving giving records away man um just yesterday uh the the guys in the stools they're a young younger punk band here in detroit i'm pretty sure i sent you the single if not i i will um, no i gotta hear that it sounds awesome yeah they're great we third man put out a single but just yesterday they stopped by because they had two new records one on some english label and one on some french label and they wanted to drop drop off copies and like here you go and i was like oh i got something and i went upstairs and grabbed uh i grabbed a couple records for them and it, it, it that's fun that's why it's that's why you know that's why i want to do it to trade records and lay records on people and have records laid on me and stuff it's it's awesome yeah well, it's it's the uh the community part of it like we're t- like you're talking about with the record store like that's why yeah you know as great the reason as these places where you can just buy every record ever are online you you kind of like that face-to-face exchange type thing oh the face-to-face exchange like having like you know someone cool you know someone turn you on to a cool thing or just picking up something and grabbing it or uh you know back before the internet stuff like was really taken off like just like i remember records that like i wanted to find um for like 10 years you know and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do anything on the computer, so I wouldn't even know what this, what like Electric Eels first single is an example of it. I had read about it, you know, like in one thing and I was like, that sounds awesome. And then heard, you know, other people talk about it and I always wanted it. And, but didn't even know what it sounded like. I just knew what I thought it would sound like and I was wrong and sort of right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I just remember, um, you know, I was working at a record store in, off in Royal Oak off the record and uh this guy comes in and he's like hey are you Dave and I'm I said yeah and he's like yeah Danny from the Dalrod said you might be interested in buying some of my records and uh he pulled out a you know a stack of records and like the third single down was the Electric Eel single and uh 
like the feeling like like my knee like i had to grab the counter because i thought yeah. i was gonna faint you know i'd been looking for it for so freaking long and uh that feeling is just so good and like while it's amazing that you can go on and find anything on discogs or ebay or whatever like i feel bad for you know the the kids these days that won't have that feeling you know yeah yeah that, I, that was just the best oh definitely i even like you know i was in people records last time i was in detroit and i found the cold cock single and it's like yeah. a record that yeah i'd seen it you know i could have bought it online too but i like i just been i'd seen pictures of it on the back of kill by death for so long to see yeah. a copy in my hand was just like you're saying my knees went weak yeah it's great it's it's when you find things like that it's you know nothing beats it's it's a really good feeling and uh it's just exciting and then and then you know if you're unlucky enough to be driving to and from that record store like man that talk about a risky drive home like you're like one eye on you know one hand on the wheel and you're like looking at the record it's, like, it's worse than texting and driving i'm sure cruising <laughs> down the freeway like oh my god i can't believe i just found sonic's rendezvous looking like oh yeah it's it's nuts <laughs> when i when i tour i carry my records with me like it's the nuclear codes like i have yeah. them in, in my bag at all times just because like you're saying like it's, it's precious cargo yeah and then oh man that feeling like when you're too when you're like in the like picking up records on tour and like i never you know back when i first started doing it i couldn't because you know it didn't have like a smartphone or anything but I try not to listen to them. You know, I don't go like and find them online to listen to them. Mm -hmm. So like for the whole tour, like, you know, or trip or wherever you are, you're like, it's just, you know, you just look at your records, but you know, yeah. sometimes you go like three or four weeks without being able to actually listen to them. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love I, it. <laughs> I find you still get that thrill a little bit when something's not online where you're just like, holy shit, I found yeah, something yeah. that someone yeah. hasn't even thought was good enough to put up on the internet. Yeah. Yet. It's great. It's awesome totally awesome <laughs> i can't i can't wait to go to a record fair that's like the thing i'm really yeah this oh, is over oh my gosh yeah. that's um, gonna be fun it's gonna be amazing uh this has been amazing dave anytime you want to come back and talk records please know the the door is always open yeah it's a blast i i like talking about records all the time i i'm sure there's plenty of cool record scores that i could that we could that, that i could tell and you could tell and it would be fun and i'd love to do it whenever yeah that's the thing about like the adventure you know like it is yeah. kind of like the indiana jones quality to like going out and finding a record and then having this tale to tell about like the time you spent six hours in the basement of some random record store just going through boxes of singles to find the one. Oh man yeah it's great and the only when you find the thing and like you actually remember to pull out your want list and uh <laughs> I had this at one one at a place in Roseville, uh, Memories and Melodies. I, I you know I wrote a you know scrolled a little want list on a thing, and I get to there and there's like hundreds and hundreds of singles boxes. I'm like I don't have time for this. I'm like I'll just check my want list, and like the first one was like Lurkers, and I I go to the L's and I find a Lurkers, and I'm like okay well, then I go to Pagans and I find a Pagans, and then I find a Saint single. I'm like oh shit, looks like I'm here all day. Wow. It was just the best day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely the, there's, there's those days where, I've had days where I like dreamt of a record and then yeah. I found it. Like, it's almost like I manifested it somehow. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. That's, that's, that, that stuff is real. I've had yeah. that with t-shirts too. <laughs> yeah. One time, I, one time I was going into a, a, a value world with my brother in the mid nineties. And I'm like, man, for all the thrifting I do, like one of these days I'm going to find a, a, 
a Keith Moon era Who t-shirt. And I swear to God, I said that out loud to my brother. And 10 minutes later, I was like, holy shit, Jeff, look at what I just found. And I found like a 1975 Who tour shirt. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was so good. <laughs> That's wild. So uh, one thing I wondered, like it, in Otto's doc, he talks about the fact that there's like this hard divide almost between like the Detroit punk capital R rock scene and then that Detroit hardcore scene that kind of emerges. But that scene just doesn't seem like it died out, that Detroit, you know, punk rock scene. Like that rock and roll kind of punk scene seems like it just kind of carried on throughout the 80s. Yeah, I think it's carried on throughout the 80s and 90s and it's still carrying on. Um, I don't think there's a hard line. I think, uh, you know, there, there there might be a soft line or a whatever is the opposite of a hard line. I guess it would yeah. be a soft line. Yeah, soft line, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think there's a hard... I, it, it carries on and, you know, there's still a lot of great punk bands and, you know, as long as we still got Timmy and... Uh, and things like that, you know, there's, there's cool punk coming out of here. Well, anytime you want to come here and talk some more cool punk, Dave, please know you're always welcome. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, right back at you. Maybe someday you can just come on down to Detroit and we can go hit some of these record stores. Or I can come up there to Toronto. Thank you, Dave, for coming on the show. When you're right there, Dave will be back at some point in the future to talk more. More records. I love talking about those records. And once again, check out the stuff that Third Man is doing, or that Dave's doing over there with Third Man right now, with like the Pathetics reissue and that L7's reissue, and and their L7 reissue. Not not the California L7, the Detroit L7, of course. And uh, there's a lot more to come. There's some really cool stuff uh, down down the pipes that are coming out soon. And uh, oh, yeah, some stuff I'm really excited about. Really, really excited about finally hearing. All right. Speaking of finally hearing, next episode on this show, you will all finally hear an episode I've been very excited for everyone to hear with Jeff G from the band Cold is Life, uh, my buddy Dom uh, over at A389 Records has resurrected his label in order to reissue Cold is Life's um I guess, full-length debut, Born to Land Hard. They had a bunch of demos before this, but this thing was kind of the the seminal first record for this band. Uh, this is a classic. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it. Uh, this is a great conversation with Jeff, too. We talk a lot about music and get into the history of Detroit punk that led to Cold as Life. And, yeah, this is, this is, one, this is one you got to check out. That is coming out uh, tomorrow. I'm going to put it out tomorrow because this is Detroit... Week tur- weekend turned week on Turned Out of Punk. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids, and we need to help trans people protect themselves and, and stop this violence and hate towards Asian people. There's no reason we should be letting uh, this world divide us and this violence be used to... to tear us apart we need to smash fascism like this is not political issues these are not political issues this is just basic human rights issues there are people in this world that have a right to exist and there are people in this world that for some reason can't see that and that's really what i just am trying to get to right now just so go out there get yourself involved read donate money to causes and organizations just you know just don't sit idly by and watch it all happen in front of you. 
Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore, and maybe someone else will. So please sign your organ donor cards. Uh, do something creative for yourself. You don't have to put it out in the world. Just do something. It'll help your uh, mental health. And speaking of that, I found meditation has helped me. Maybe it'll help you. I didn't believe in that shit. I thought that shit was bullshit. I say I thought the same thing about cannabis too. But, you know, I've, I've come to kind of find it's helped me a lot. So maybe it'll help you too. Um, wear a mask. Stay safe. And uh, I think uh, anything else, anything else I'm forgetting to say here. Oh, check out Oil and Flowers. We talk about cannabis on there. And I think that's it. I think that's it. And uh, I will uh, start your own culture. We got that. Yeah, I think we got that. Okay. Detroit week continues. See you next episode. Hug your loved ones.